We do like things rather convenient, don't we? <laughs> I mean, why go down to the river to fetch water in buckets when we can have running water in our houses, right? Why have hardwired telephones when we can have cell phones in our pockets that can do everything our computers can do? And hey, why not have an iPad in every other room too because it, it's too much work to carry a cell phone to the next room, right? I can check my email anytime, anywhere. If necessity is the mother of invention, I might argue that convenience is its father. We even have convenience stores because sometimes it's just too hard to go to the regular one, isn't it? We are in a constant search for the next thing to make our time more efficient, to make our time our own so that maybe I can go do something that I want to do, right? And this dire, dire, this desire for efficiency and ease in our lives, it's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? I admit, I like having clean running water in my house. That's a good thing. But what about worship? Should our worship be convenient? Should it be efficient so that I can get on with the rest of my day? Consider King David with me for a second, who was told by God, God told him, because you did this, I want you to raise an altar I want you to go to the threshing floor of a man named Ornan, and I want you to build an altar, and I want you to make some sacrifices there in that place. And so David goes to the threshing floor of Ornan, and Ornan, in an attempt to honor the king, and I'm sure it was from a, a, a right heart trying to honor the king, he tried to give him the threshing floor and give him all the sacrificial animals for free. Here, King David, take it. By all means, do what you think is right. I'll make it easy for you. And David could have taken that easy route, couldn't he? But King David said to Ornan, No, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David with a chance of convenience and ease, put the honor of God above his own as he came to worship him. Worship of God should not be worthless. Worship of God should not be valueless. It should not be easy or convenient, a simple going through the motions so that we can get it over with and get about our business got to eat, right? Better make sure this is over at the right time, Pastor, right? Go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, starting at verse 13. Let's stand up for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 2, starting at verse 13. Scripture says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. 
and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. They used to set up the merchants for the sacrificial animals across from Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley, on the slopes of the Mount of Olives, if you can see the map there at all. Sorry, it's a little small, but there's the Jerusalem wall running along there. There's the Kidron Valley right there, and there's the slopes of the, of the Mount of Olives. Now, they'd have to buy their stuff here. They'd have to go down across the Kidron Valley into the city of David and all the way into the temple grounds. Quite a little hike with a sheep that doesn't want to be sacrificed, right? Fighting you all the way. But as time goes by, we have the tendency to allow convenience and efficiency, preference and ease to begin to influence our lives, don't we? Even in worship. It's the Passover after all. We'll have people pouring into Jerusalem from all across the known world, Jews and proselytes, it'll be great. Why? Why should they have to travel all the way from the Mount of Olives down across the Kidron Valley through the city of David and into the temple grounds to do this? Right? That's a lot to ask anybody, especially those who've been traveling for days, maybe even weeks, just, just to get here for the Passover. Wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't it be easier if we just brought all the merchants into the temple area, onto the temple grounds? It, it would certainly be more accessible. Doesn't that make sense? They could buy them and sacrifice them right here. And think about it, guys. The temple could benefit as some of the funds from all these sales would certainly go to provide for the upkeep of the temple grounds and for provision for the priesthood. We could use the court of the Gentiles. That's what we could use. We could use the court of the Gentiles. It's a, it's a nice open space, and it'll benefit everyone. It just makes sense. The people need the animals for the sacrifices. The merchants need the sales. And the money will help the temple and the religious leaders. The problem is, as they set up convenience, they pushed out worship. And they lost their focus on God. By setting up the vendors in the court of the Gentiles, which was the most likely place to do this, you see... 
there's your temple, right? And, and there's all the, the holy place, the most holy places in there. Um, but this big open space here, yeah, you could set up a lot of animals and vendors in there. And, and this area here too, huh? That's the court of the Gentiles right there. That's where they would have done it. By setting up in that space, they were actually hindering the Gentiles from coming to worship God. The Gentiles couldn't go anywhere else in the temple. They weren't allowed. This was the place for them to meet with the God of all creation. They would go there to seek out God and they would find sheep and oxen and pigeons and money changers. Israel had been chosen by God to be a lighthouse to the world so that, so that the world, the rest of the world could come to know God just as they had been chosen by him. In Isaiah we read, the wild beasts, this is God speaking, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people who I formed for myself that they, might declare my praise. God chose them that his praise might be declared, that even the wild animals would recognize who he was. Through his people Israel, God wanted to show the nations who he was, who he is. But the religious leaders chose ease over evangelism. They chose convenient worship over worship that they might have to pay for in time and effort. And they chose to gain for themselves in this over giving it all to God. The temple was now cluttered with things that it was never intended for. Is your temple cluttered with things it was never intended for? Has, has your worship become convenient? Remember, the temple is where God dwelt among his people, right? That, that is where he lived and dwelt with them. Therefore, Jesus could easily say in, in verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up, because he was the place where God lived amongst his people. He was the temple of God on earth, wasn't he? For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in the flesh, as we read in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. So where is he now? Where does God dwell today? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? We are the place where God dwells on earth. Not this building, not these walls, not this place, us. So the question becomes, what are we doing with the temple of God? Is there anything in my life that is pushing God out of view? Is it a place of worship? or of self-centered benefit and convenience. 
Are we willing to, to push out worship? Are we willing to, to push out evangelism to the Gentile, to that non-believer in our community for the sake of ease in our walk with Christ? For the sake of living out merely what I am comfortable with? What about us as a whole church body? I, I heard recently about a church that was planted somewhere in the last 10 years, somewhere down in Lynchburg, Virginia, and people at that church will get up and be at the church at 5 in the morning to set up chairs and to bring together the music because they still meet at a middle school. And then guess what they have to do at the end of service? They have to tear it all back down every single Sunday. Does that kind of effort strike fear in your heart? 5 a.m.? That means I have to be up at at least 4, right? Why get up at 4 when I can get up at 7 or 8? Service doesn't start till 9.30. Let's get up at 9.15, right? I can miss the first part of worship. Not the getting up earlier makes you any holier than anybody else but we should ask ourselves am i willing to give up some kind of self-benefit ease and convenience for the sake of worshiping the lord for the sake of the kingdom of god and his gospel in order to be as effective as possible in making the gospel known to those around me when people see us worship God here at Alden Union Church, when they look at you and your life, what do you think they see? Do they see a people who are madly in love with the God of their salvation, with the God who first loved us? Or do they see something else? Do they see maybe an intellectualized faith? perhaps a weekly obligation. I come, I do, my, I do the thing they do, and then I go. Do we have more zeal for this life and the things we want to do than we do for a life of worship? Enter Jesus. Verses 13 to 17. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. He enters the temple and he sees what is happening and he is angry. God is angry. Angry with a righteous anger. He is right to be disturbed by what he saw there. This is not what worship should be. This, in fact, is not worship. It's a house of trade. 
And according to Old Testament prophecy, the Lord would come into his temple with judgment in hand. In Malachi 3, 1 through 3, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare a way for me. That's John the Baptist, right? And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come into his temple. And the messenger, messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. You don't refine anything without fire. Jesus enters the temple loaded with zeal for worship. Worship that does what it takes to put God first. And he brought with him clear judgment against the form that their worship had taken. Just as he had done this before. He'd done it throughout in, in several places through the Old Testament. We read it in Isaiah. He brought judgment on their worship. In Isaiah 1, he says, When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Now, consider this for a moment. If Jesus judged the worship of Israel in the Old Testament, right? And if he brought judgment of their worship again in about A.D. 30, making a whip and actually cleansing the temple grounds. And if he judges later the seven churches in the book of Revelation, do you think he might have an eye on our worship right now? Do you think he might have an eye on our very own lives? If Jesus walked into your life right now, or if he walked through the doors into our church here this morning, would he be carrying a whip? Would he need to do something drastic to, to get us to get up and do something different than what we are doing, to get our hearts and minds focused on who he is? Is there any aspect of our worship that does not glorify God? First, are we perpetuating, perpetuating a system in, that in any way does not benefit the kingdom of God first? That does not deliver his gospel first? Are we being salt and light or ease and comfort? We ought to start examining our worship, our program. Our facilities, everything God has given us, everything we are and everything we do through the same lens that Jesus does. Well, let's not go too far, Pastor. Right? This might mean more change. Even as we hear about these, these kind of ideas, these things from Scripture, are we becoming guarded are we becoming guarded in our hearts? Are, are we justifying how and why we do what we do? 
Has the Lord brought something to your heart and your mind, and, and have you begun to reason, well, it's okay because of this and that and the other thing? Verses 18 to 22. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. The religious leaders, the animal vendors, the money changers, the people, they didn't like being confronted, did they? They spend no time here in personal reflection on their worship, and, and right away they begin to question him, and they demand a sign. What right do you have to do these things? Show us your authority. Because they are more concerned with precedent and authority than they are with right worship of God. We are the religious leaders here. We have been doing this and it's been working just fine. You show us why you are allowed to do what you've just done. And Jesus answers their defensiveness. He answered their defensiveness with the sign of his authority to clean out their lives and to transform their worship as he tells them about his resurrection. Just how does the resurrection affirm his authority over our worship? Well, if Jesus has authority over death, then he has life in himself a life that was not given to him, but is inherent in him. If we read John chapter 1, verse 4 again, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And in 1 John chapter 5, we read, And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. From the life of the Son, he gave us physical life as he knits us together in our mother's womb so very carefully and so very intentionally. And then we grow up, and as we grow up, I pray, God, that each person here has indeed acknowledged him as our Lord and as our Savior. And if we have done that, he has opened our eyes to the truth of who he is and what he's done for us at the cross, that we have not saved ourselves. It was his death for ours. For the wages of sin is death. His resurrection for our hope of eternal life. He made us and he redeems us. From the slavery to sin, bringing us forgiveness through his blood shed in our place. Any life we have in us at all, be it physical or spiritual, we didn't give it to ourselves. 1 Corinthians 6.19 again. It goes on. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This life I have, physical and spiritual, has been entirely given to me. 
Who am I to put comfort over evangelism? Or ease personal preference or self-benefit over devotion to God? Who am I to say this, that, or the other thing is more important than gathering together with the saints and worshiping and getting my head and my heart focused on the one God who's given me everything I have? Everything I am. This life is so not about this life. It is in the hands of God and it is about living worship. Living worship every day. Showing the world who Jesus is through who we are and what we do. Romans 12, 1 through 2, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We should ask ourselves, have I for the sake of comfort or personal benefit, or ease, or efficiency? Have I lost something in my worship of God? Does it cost me nothing? We need to spend time, not once, but but regularly examining our worship. Let's not think that we're any better than the Israelites were. They are are an example to us as they slipped time and again into putting something or someone, even themselves, before God. Start today. Let's do a bit of self-examination. Do I go to church to do my duty or to get out at a certain time? Am I here because mom and dad made me come? Do I come so that I can have someone or something to criticize? Where is my heart in all of this? Am I building up a love for God in those around me? Or is this a social club that's that's here for my benefit and to meet my social needs? I got to connect with this person, that person, right? Is my worship of God about me and how I feel? Or am I willing to give up comfort and preferences to encourage others to come before the Lord? Is there any clutter in my life that is pushing out other people or or my focus on God, the desire to share the gospel or to give my time or energy or gifts to encourage others to worship? When I leave here, will my worship be like we have here in this passage? Easy and comfortable? Worship that has no love for the outsider, no time for them. Unwilling to change for the sake of precedence, authority, or personal gain. That isn't how we've done it before, and that's not how we're going to do it now. That's too hard. We might scare people away. Is God asking us for too much here? When he's given us everything? What do we have that hasn't been given to us by God? What will happen after we sing this last song? 
after the benediction, if we would take some time to reflect, when you get home, and if we reflect and we find ourselves wanting in some way, let's repent. Let's repent and return to God in our worship because just like Israel, we have been chosen by God to be salt and light, to uh, the salt and light of the gospel to the rest of the world to show them who he is and what he has done. And that's far more important than the football game or whatever else it might be. Let's pray. Lord God, your call to our lives can be heavy and can be hard. And Lord, you know in our hearts we want to excuse it away. That, that isn't me. I'm not like that. Uh, I shouldn't have to do that or, or I can't. Father God, show each of us a way in which we need to give our lives to you and be devoted and, and clean out the clutter. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you convict our heads and hearts? Would you change who we are? and let, Don't let us stay the same, but, but transform us, conform us to the image of your Son, Lord, even this day. Each of us, me. Lord, we pray to you because there's no other God to pray to. There's no other God to honor and worship. There is no other living God who is worthy of all of our lives. No other God who sent his son to die on a cross in our place, who first loved us. And so we praise your holy name this morning in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.